Hey, we finally have some music now. How about that? Took us. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of took us a little bit longer than I would have liked, but hey, there it is now. So hopefully you guys like that and adds a little bit of liveliness to this episode now. Yeah, good, good thing. Good things come to those who wait. <laughs> yep, there you go. So, I mean, I I gotta I gotta say something. Like normally, I kind of check in with you to see how you're doing, how you're doing, or what you've been up to, and all that stuff. But I feel like we should just really just get into the episode. I mean, I because I don't know. Me personally, I'm excited about this, and there's a lot to talk about. I mean. God damn. I mean, I, I'm, am I alone on this? What do you think, man? No, I, I think it's going to be a huge milestone for the sport of MMA. Mm -hmm. um, if whatever Francis Ngannou does, like if he's, if this works out and it's successful, I, I think we're going to see MMA slowly turn into kind of what boxing is like now, you know? With as far as the type of deal that fighters can or that worldwide appeal i think that the kind of deals that like the top fighters can get like they they're gonna get if they can pull this off you know i think we're gonna see all the big names getting like millions per fight instead of whatever thousands or tens of thousands <laughs> most of them are getting now you know yeah exactly exactly i mean i guess a lot of it i mean this is kind of like showcasing and it's kind of like a test if something if something like what francis is doing can be successful like if it can be done i think that's that's the real i guess it's just very game-changing in a lot of ways yeah i i think I think there is the market for that, you know, just because, I mean, if you look at how boxing kind of works now, it's just all the top guys are essentially free agents. They have the power to negotiate their price, negotiate, like, you know, how much of the share they're going to get in the pay per view on the back end, how much they're going to be paid up front, you know yeah and they can pick and choose their opponents you know some say that's good some say that's bad but it, it's just giving a lot more control to the fighters themselves yeah yeah definitely i mean that's really what this whole contract kind of comes down to is that the type of control or leeway that francis and ganu has this is something that we don't typically see in mma and not to just single out the ufc but with other organizations too there isn't this type of freedom this type of i guess administrative role you have this type of money that they can earn and all this other stuff that's it's it's really something that we don't see a whole lot in mma Really quickly, before we get too far into this, this is episode 49 of the Unified Rules of Podcast. It's your hosts, as usual, Edmund Kwan and Eric Hamidi. And basically what we're talking about is the fact that last week, Francis Ngannou, he has a new home. He signed with the PFL. And here's a question I have for you, because I'm not exactly sure how to go about this episode. 
I mean, I'm just sort of thinking, where do we start with this? Where, I mean, I guess we kind of started the conversation, but I'm just wondering, I don't know. I don't know where to go with this conversation or I'm not really sure like how to go about it or what to start with. I don't know if you have any suggestions. I don't know either because this is basically uncharted territory for the sport of MMA in a way. Yes, yes. Maybe maybe to kind of start off, what we should do is just talk about the the nature of Francis Ngannou's contract. And so basically I have it written down on here. So last, like I said, last week he signed with the organization. Francis is, Francis is sorry, France Ngannou's PFL contract is that he'll compete in the pay-per-view super fight division. So that's a separate category from the, the tournament format that PFL has. So the way professional fighters league operates is that they have a regular season they have a postseason playoff and championship and basically fighters whenever they fight they accumulate points based on how they went how they won and then that determines who are the four players who go into the playoffs they compete for one million dollars so the super fight division it's separate from their tournament format their season format so there's that he uh his opponents get a minimum this you know this is crazy right here his opponents get a minimum of $2 million. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I've We've talked about this on the podcast that Francis seems like a good guy. And if he's doing that because he genuinely cares about fighters' well-being, then props to him. I mean, there's the conversation of if this is just a negotiation or business tactic from PFL, which maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. What do you think? I, I just think it's... he. I, I think he's trying to attract the biggest names, the biggest competitors who wants to fight him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know what... He, he still wants to do boxing. I don't yep. know if that if this current contract would fall under that too, if he ever somehow gets that. Well, what do you mean if it falls under fight? that? What do you mean if it falls under that? If, if it, let's say, let's say he gets a boxing fight with Tyson Fury would it count under this PFL contract. He has. My impression is that it wouldn't my, because it's saying that he has he's going to fight two or three times and i'm assuming that's with the pfl organization from the the contents of his contract he can pursue the boxing stuff separately like pfl's not associated with that or they don't do boxing so that so francis could do that freely and based on what i'm seeing or like the impression i get is that the boxing bouts wouldn't count as far as the 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 two or three fights because that's a whole separate thing pfl doesn't do boxing no. I mean, like, I can't, I mean, like, here's the thing, Edmund, I can't say for certain, but it seems like that's the case that he'll do his one boxing belt. But even after that, he'll still have to fight two or three times for a professional fighters league. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the question is, you know, who, who would he fight in boxing? That no, in in PFL in MMA, well, who's gonna be paid two million dollars to fight Nganu? Well, it's it's interesting that you're saying this because I was part of a. You know how Twitter has those Twitter spaces that you can record and stuff. Yeah, 
So shout out to Colin Crandall MMA. He was the one who organized it. And another one of the the uh, hosts or administrators, his name is Adam. And we were talking about this whole PFL situation as far as which fighters they can get. So let me throw... Let me throw a couple names that are just completely, that would be like random or really ideal or just not going to happen. So one name that was suggested was Brock Lesnar. I mean, I <laughs> I highly doubt Brock Lesnar would come back even for $2 million, but I don't know. Well, the, the bigger issue at hand is that due to the relationship that Brock has with the UFC, both on a personal and professional level, I find it very unlikely or just at least the, the individuals who were part of this Twitter space, they were saying that they don't think UFC would get Brock. I oh. don't think Brock would be able to do it just given his relationship with yeah, the UFC. Of course. Of course. But... I mean, I don't know if he's technically under contract with them still, but let's just put it this way. It is not going to be easy for fighters to leave UFC to go fight Francis. I thought Brock Lesnar left the UFC already. Well, he did, but I don't know. There's like complexities with UFC contracts that people talk about where even if you leave or retire, there's still some type of restrictions or some some stupid thing like that. Like I know that was a thing with GSP where even though he retired, he couldn't uh, box De La Hoya for some reason. That's just ridiculous. Considering he's still in like WWE all the time, like I don't. Which is which is another reason why they feel like that is probably not going to happen is because Brock is in WWE and now Endeavor owns WWE. That's right. Yeah. Oh my God, this is like some <laughs> corporate succession kind of stuff. You know what I mean? A little bit. I well, well, actually, not exactly. What do you mean by corporate succession? Like su succession, the TV show. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Just some like a lot of corporate political drama going on in the back, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I mean, I mean, Endeavor's trying to build up their portfolio and finances, and I mean, which better companies to do it within the realm of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts than UFC and WWE? Yeah. <laughs> so now so now I wonder, is it more permissible for us to talk about pro wrestling when talking about MMA now, now that Endeavor owns those two companies? I mean, I don't see why not. We we've seen what a lot of crossover, you know, yes. between the two sports. Yes. The Rousey, CM Punk, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Like yeah, I But but like you know how MMA fans are, they're not the most receptive or the most welcoming of talking about pro wrestling or they'll be like oh i don't want to hear about wrestling talk this is an mma show true but i think in this day and age it's just it's changing you know a lot of yes. the i feel like a lot of fans our age or younger are a lot more accepting and welcoming because we just see we see all this as entertainment you know yes like we know <laughs> we know like whoever's ufc champ might probably do a movie one day or even get an appearance on wwe and vice versa like whoever's hot in the wwe might start doing movies or might dabble in mma like it's all this weird interconnected sports entertainment ecosystem that i just feel like we're all just really aware of and we're just kind of 
accepting of whatever spectacle they throw at us, you know? I do see your point that you're making that we are more accepting of it, but I still think that there's a good majority of the people that, I mean, I, I, a lot of times if you bring up wrestling, they're just going to be so, they don't want to talk about things outside the MMA space, basically. It's not just with wrestling. It's more serious matters. I think it depends. I, I think there's a lot of people online who are vocal about it. Mm -hmm. I, I think like WrestleMania just happened, what, couple weeks couple months ago yep april and a lot of people i i work at two gyms right now yes a lot of people from both gyms were just really into the whole wrestlemania thing which is funny because the, none of these people are wrestling fans outside of that probably yeah maybe i don't know i rarely talk about wrestling because i'm not a big wrestling fan myself but i do know <laughs> the same group of people who paid the ticket or paid for the pay-per-view for wrestlemania are also huge mma fans as well so i don't think in this day and age like it's mutually exclusive if you're a fan of one i think you're probably a fan of the other organization as well well a friend of mine there's a friend of mine who's a fan of mixed martial arts but he can't get into pro wrestling so there there is some crossover yeah, but it's is... not like you know it's not like every it's not a guaranteed thing there's going to be crossover right right i mean i just think it's different than probably in the 2000s where you know i i feel like people were just more into their niche sport or hobby but I think nowadays it's just it's so available that everybody's just there's a lot more fans of both. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But with regards to Francis's contract, it's the deal that he has with PFL, that's an exclusive MMA deal, so he like I said, his boxing endeavors are separate from anything that they would be involved with. Mm -hmm. So, I just wanted to go over a couple other details about his contract. He's going to be the chairman of PFL Africa. That's going to develop and grow the sport in Africa and also to provide resources for, for African fighters. He can have a couple of his own sponsors when he fights. So it's not just going to be like the Venom deal where it's just the Venom shorts and that's it. And he has a seat at the fighter advisory board or he has like, they have this advisory board for fighters and he's going to be part of that stuff. So that's uh that's basically the gist of his contract. I might I mean I I think that's all the details, but if I'm missing a couple things, I apologize, but that's just to give our listeners an idea of what this contract is about. Yeah. I I think those are all great things, especially to expand and push the sport forward. I mean, we we all know his kind of story of coming out of you know, Cameroon and working his way up all the way to being like heavyweight champ. And it's, it's not a hard road. I mean, it's not an easy road. <laughs> like it's not a hard road. No, like it's a very do you, hard Do you road. not remember? Sorry. I I, no, no, I know. I'm just, I'm just messing with you where it's just like, man, do you not remember what we talked about when our, when we did that episode? No. Yeah. I mean, it's a literal, like as, as much of a rags to riches story as you can get, you know, like, Someday there's going to be a biopic on Francis Ngannou, I'm sure, and it's going to be a very compelling movie. But I, I think it's great that he's trying to promote 
other fighters from other countries well uh, like i know. think what he's trying to do i think honestly the whole idea of pfl africa is so that fighters have the chance or the resources that he didn't have because if because basically the reason why he had to leave cameroon was because there was no opportunity to box there but it's like if he does all this stuff then it makes it a lot easier to the point where they don't have to go through what he did to try to pursue a, a combat sport career right exactly and that goes into my i, I think it's going to trickle down you know it's not going to be exclusively just mma or pfl i i definitely think it's going to trickle down into opportunities for people there for other combat sports like mm. boxing kickboxing oh you, know, you mean like fighters in africa being able to pursue kickboxing or yeah, muay thai yeah. or stuff like that exactly i think you know he's probably setting up i mean i don't know the details but i would assume like a program like this would just set up it, the infrastructure for people to like just be exposed to that like training centers people with connections into the industry of setting up fights and all that so yeah i mean I, it I definitely it definitely seems like that's what he's going for or what he's trying to accomplish with all this stuff and uh, i mean it's all going to be a big development process like it's it's going to take time but there has to be somebody who starts it and francis wants to be the first one yeah and you know him getting what like a seat at the board of pfl yeah it's a fighter advisory board or just like it's an athletic board talking about fighters rights and stuff like that i think it's it's good to have someone who's actually a fighter an active one yeah yep an active fighter yeah that's even which more he is the first one like so apparently from my research what i found out is that pfl does have this board and there are fighters on there but they're retired fighters francis is the first active fighter on this advisory board i think that'll be good you know i mean as... i think i think it's really good because like here's the thing here's how i'm kind of seeing it there's a lot of complaints that people have about fighter pay or the way fighters are treated in mixed martial arts. We finally have a guy who's taking some steps to change that. That's basically what Francis is trying to do right here. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, it's just, it's just kind of weird because we talk about things wanting to get better for fighters and Francis is taking those steps and He's getting a lot of, there's been a lot of criticism his way. He's gotten a lot of flack for the things that he's done. I mean, I'm sure, well, I, I mean, I don't want to say I'm sure, but let me ask you, have you seen the criticism that people have had about this deal? No, to be honest. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I think, honestly, I think it's because people who are critical of this deal, like the UFC, Dana White, they're probably trying to bury this story so people don't know. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, if you talk MMA, the first thing on people's mind is still UFC. So yeah. it's historic. This is a historic moment for the fans, but to like the lay person, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter to them, right? Right, it's which which is not as big as if something happened in the NBA 
or the NFL or something. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's the thing, like people's criticism, and there's been a lot of discussion about that, that people criticizing Francis for doing this is because of either the the type of mentality that Dana has put into these people or the things that he's even currently saying about Francis's deal. Because, yeah, they don't want any interest or attention to go to this organization and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I could just see how if Francis Ngannou is successful in this endeavor, like, that would mean trouble. Not trouble, but, like, that would mean that a bigger fighter in the UFC is going to have more sway over, you know, his, his decisions to fight or to negotiate for his pay. Right. Right. Because I mean, if they see this, then it's like, okay, I can get more money elsewhere and I can try to get that from the organization where if the UFC has a, tight if they continue their their i guess their grasp on the industry then they can just basically offer fighters whatever they want and keep all the money for themselves yeah i mean it's so like i think i think that's something that the ufc is very concerned about i think we can both agree on that is that they're very concerned about losing whatever kind of status quo they have and they're I guess, security in the industry. I, I think yes and no. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. I, I think, I like, I like I said again, you say MMA, people think UFC. Yeah. Like, sure, if Francis Ngannou is, is successful, that would take market share away from the UFC. But I, I think... Even if he's successful, he's got a long way to go before like the UFC is even threatened in terms of like their brand or recognition or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they're, I... they're just so big. It's like it's like Disney. Like, no matter how well Universal and DreamWorks do with their movies, like if you think Disney, you still think animated movies and wholesome animated movies you know what i mean yeah yeah or it's like if you think about if if you think yeah if you think about animated movies you'll think about disney that sort of right. thing like right. some people think minions is made by disney when it's made by dreamworks so there's actually a lot of movies that people think were made by disney exactly. but it's actually not right <laughs> just because that brand association is just ingrained so i think it's like that for mma and the ufc I don't think they're going to lose like any market share or enough market share, but I think they will lose just control over their fighters. Right. But which, which, which kind of stems into what I was going to say is that when I'm talking about the stuff that let's just be clear for a second, that Francis is, it sounds weird when I say that Francis being with the PFL, it has the potential to be successful, but it's not a guarantee. And I want to make it clear. I'm not saying that PFL is going to take over as the number one MMA organization, or they're going to put UFC out of business, but at the very, but at the same time, at the very least, it gives fighters options to go somewhere else. They, you know, even if the UFC ha can offer the most or has the most market share, it's the most mainstream fighters now have options and 
that in some way will affect the UFC's control. Yeah, I, I think it really, I'm going to be, I, I think it really only affects the top 1% of the fighters, even in the UFC, you know, you're going to need someone who has that pull, that fan base to even just, you know, just tell the UFC to like, fuck off or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Because, uh, I, like, I don't see anybody, like, let me think. Like, someone like Israel Adesanya could probably threaten to leave the UFC and become a free agent like Nganu did. But, you know, like a journeyman fighter or, like, a champ in a less popular division, let's say... I don't know, Aljamain Sterling? Yeah, someone like Aljamain Sterling, who's like the current champ, but, you know, he doesn't have that big fan base yet. He's not. As or he doesn't a... get he doesn't get as much like love from people. Right. I I doubt he's going to be the one who's going to be threatening to leave the UFC and become a free agent just because he doesn't have that kind of pull yet. Yeah, I mean, I do kind of see what you're saying, or not kind of, I do see what you're saying as far as you need people who have pull to make some type of impact, and I do kind of see how that's going to be an issue. I mean, I guess, like, it sort of brings up the question where is this just the, the beginning of it, and obviously it's too early to tell, but I just wonder if this is just the first small step that needs to be taken or that needs to happen before we have significant changes. It's like, sure, this isn't a significant, I mean, in some ways it is, but as far as changing the whole way the industry is structured, maybe this is just the first step in that direction. I think so. Now here, like, here's the downsides. If like something like this is successful, is okay. that UFC kind of turns into boxing where you have a bunch of different organizations with a bunch of different belts and a bunch of different, you know, rules. Are you saying that? Are you saying UFC becomes like boxing or MMA becomes MMA. like okay, MMA? Okay. Okay. Because look, in boxing, there's so many organizations with their own belts, like, you know, WBA, WBO, IBO. It, it, like IBF, there's just all these different boxing organizations with their own champs, with their own belts. And basically you just, to become like unified champ, you got to like win five or six of these belts before people are like, oh yeah, you're, you're the undisputed champ of this division, you know? So I will say like the good thing about, you know, the name of our podcast unified rules having like one main organization that has like is like where everyone kind of goes to it just it keeps everything simpler <laughs> yeah i mean this kind of comes down to i guess the parody or just like the fact that we've had times where there have been multiple organizations and just if basically the logistics of setting up the proper fights or having 
certain outcome like and when i say outcomes i mean like determining like who's the undisputed champ or who's the real best fighter and all that that becomes more complicated if i guess all the stuff all the power and control is not just in one organization i mean but like that's kind of contributing to the problem that the mma industry has is that because one organization has so much leverage and power we just that's why fighters have this this crappy situation that they have oh i i totally agree like there isn't it definitely feels like there isn't enough room for certain fighters to shine like the middleweight division <laughs> why why the middleweight division just for example it's just adesanya is like beating everybody who's a contender in that division it's just kind of even dead, even you know? alex even alex Pereira, which exactly and he's probably going to move up and wait because no he is he's he's yeah. fighting jan blahovich in july so let's say right you know he clear let's just say in this hypothetical world where like people signed to the ufc they they can become like a free agent at their will like wouldn't it be interesting to see like Adesanya face off after he's cleared and wiped out the UFC's middleweight division, like to fight against, you know, the Bellator champ or the one champ and just, you know, go. I, I think it would be more interesting that way. Yeah. Too. Or if we want to take the Aljamain Sterling example, imagine Aljamain Sterling versus Demetrius Johnson. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think Mighty Mouse is, is going to be sterling but it would be interesting nonetheless so so you're saying that that's the part of it like if francis's actions would change the the industry you're saying that that's the aspect you would like about it but what you wouldn't like about it is the fact that we would have a all these different belts and the complexity in like who well, there's the pros undisputed and cons. champs right <laughs> yeah, you're just I, listing the pros and yeah. cons in your I think the con is, yes, there's going to be like all these different champs of different organizations and it is intimidating and confusing for like a newer fan. Right. But I think the plus of that is you're going to let like lesser known fighters have a chance to shine to work their way up or like, you know, not everyone can make it in the UFC. That doesn't mean they're not good fighters. It just means the UFC didn't want to sign them because they didn't think they were marketable or something. Yeah. And you and know? that, that leads to one of the criticisms that I've seen about Francis Ngannou signing with PFL is that people will be saying, who's he going to fight or all the best fighters are in the UFC and just various other things related to that matter. And I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that we're knowledgeable MMA fans, but like, we understand that there can be good fighters that are just outside of the U that are outside of the UFC just for the reasons that you mentioned. Right. Like, and like, basically what I'm saying is that it's not like it's impossible for Francis to have good fights with interesting opponents outside of UFC because there are skilled individuals there. I mean, it just, I sort of feel like everybody's just immediately turned off because he's not going to fight John Jones or he doesn't he's now he's not going to fight the the people who are in the UFC heavyweight division and all this other stuff. Yeah, but that's the UFC's fault. <laughs> yeah. In in what way? Explain. 
Well, the UFC just wants total control over their fighters and all that, you know. Unless right, they're never gonna co-promote as long as the current, as long as the Dana current White group of leadership. Like right. Yeah, yeah. But so. I mean, like more. I mean, like more often than not, and that's kind of like the thing that you're that you're saying or what you're getting at is that. What if we did have Aljamain Sterling versus uh, uh, Demetrius Johnson? What if we had Francis Ngannou versus John Jones now that Francis is in PFL? It just, there's that, I mean, there's the thing about it. You could co-promote and these things could still happen, but UFC right. doesn't want to because, and we talked about this probably when we did our Fedor episode, is that they don't want to split any of the money with anyone else besides their own organization. Right. And, you know, look, all in all, I'm totally for this Francis Ngannou deal. And I do hope he's really successful in it because I'm just kind of sick of, for the fans, we're not getting a chance to see certain fights happen because of this corporate politics battle that's happening in the back, you know? Right money and business and all that and it's like it's stopping from certain fights from happening in the past and i think you know for the sport to move forward to have like those huge memorable boxing events like canelo versus pacquiao or like these like historic moments are like well you mean canelo versus, versus mayweather Ford. yeah canelo yeah. versus mayweather sorry misspoke but it's like these like big monumental events happening like i i think it could happen in mma where it's just ingrained in like the memories of the fans like forever you know yes yes not to say there isn't there isn't aren't events like that already but it's like you know just a bigger appeal because they're spending a lot of money to pay the fighters which means they're going to spend a lot of money to promote it which means the more they promote it the more people are going to watch it and i i think overall it's just going to have mma is just going to be more it, it's going to have a broader appeal more people are going to know about it more people are going to talk about it and it'll just be kind of ingrained in like just the zeitgeist of just america just like just like boxing is you know yeah yeah, I mean, okay, I see what you're saying. The way I'm kind of seeing as far as how we can, how MMA can reach that next level as far as global expansion is if, you know, for instance, if you have the the Bellator champion versus the one champion or the UFC champion versus the PFL champion, it creates this this interest because it's 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 almost as if we're going to say, all right, let's find out who the real best fighter is. And within the context of, for instance, PFL Africa, if you develop the sport there, not only are you developing the fighters, but you'll also be developing a fan base. And then that way, more people are going to watch MMA. Right. And I also think we're tapping into like a whole new talent pool. You know, I, like the UFC did that with China like a decade, of, a decade ago. And now we have some, you know, great Chinese fighters like Zhang Weili is a great example. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's good just to grow the sport, tap into some areas that, you know, don't have, let's say, the infrastructure of getting fighters onto that world stage. 
right? All in all, it's good for the sport. I mean, that is something that I will say that I enjoy. Like, I don't know. I guess, like I was saying earlier in this episode, there's not a guarantee that this whole thing is going to be successful, but I like the potential or what could possibly happen because for me, thinking about MMA expanding to a global interest level and having all these different regions compete with one another, that's exciting to me. Definitely. I mean, I still think, let's say like, you know, the most popular sport in the world right now is like soccer or right. football, right? Right. I think for like MMA to reach that level, definitely like soccer has like FIFA, they're the governing body of all everything. But I think like a lot of people don't like FIFA because they're just super corrupt. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I'm I'm not a huge soccer fan, but just from what I've heard. But I think for MMA to kind of reach that level and to not kind of have that same level of corruption, I think it'll be fine to have different leagues, you know, but they're all willing to work with each other and communicate with each other so that fighters within those organizations could fight each other like champions from each organization could fight the other organization's champions i think that would be really appealing and it would it would just allow like fighters in like lesser known fighters in their own kind of area to kind of grow and get better and then once they're kind of at that level really kind of match up with people from another part of the world or something yeah yeah i mean that's that's kind of the uh the, i i mean ideally that's what you want and honestly when it comes to other organizations working with each other i mean we do have that in the current landscape i mean we did an episode bellator versus ryzen and i know it's not the same situation but other organizations, they are willing to co-promote, at least in some capacity. It's just the UFC is not willing to. And since they're the industry leader, they set the standard for everything. And I guess people just, I guess the fan base or the general public just falls in line. I mean, we, we're talking about that, like the, the kind of reactions that Dana White and the UFC have towards Francis' contract, it's because it's just like that sets the tone for how everybody should feel about this contract. Yeah. But I think a lot of the, I don't know. I, I haven't really talked to anybody about this, this contract thing, but mm -hmm. I would have to imagine that a lot of the negative sentiment from this are coming from like a very vocal minority and probably a lot of just, corporate propaganda by the ufc that's that's my conspiracy theory <laughs> behind the negative uh sentiment for this because it makes no sense like as I a mean, fan this sounds pretty great you know yeah i mean i will say there is i don't know here's how we can say it. 
there's a certain lack of knowledge. There's a certain lack, I guess, I don't want to, I don't know if ignorance is the right word, but there is a certain lack of knowledge in this situation. Either it's because all you do is watch UFC, so you have no concept of, of whatever's outside of it, or you just, you, you just listen to everything Dana White says, because... So here's the thing that's, and I posed this question on Twitter and I'm not really getting responses about it or just, you're the only one that I can, you're one of the only ones that I can actually pose this question to and get a response to. It's just like the people that criticize Nganu for signing with PFL, what exactly is it about it that they don't like? Because what I've seen is that he's not going to fight John Jones or he's not fulfilling whatever their standards for a legacy is or because it's outside of ufc it's automatically less interesting i think like the only downside is probably just that like he's not gonna fight anyone in the ufc but i it's like i don't think it's francis Ngannou who's stopping that i think it's the ufc is going to not let anyone from their organization fight him just yeah. due to the fact that he's not in the UFC anymore. Right, which is which is so it's yeah. It which is a criticism that I've seen where some of it is on the UFC's part. They could make that fight happen if they really wanted to, but if you're not a UFC contracted athlete then they don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. So it's kind of like, well, I, it, it's almost like the pot calling the kettle black. Like, well, uh, excuse me, UFC, you're the one who's stopping this from happening. Hence, that's why he left, because he wasn't in control of who he could pick and choose to fight. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he had no control in like the other endeavors that he wanted, whether it was sponsorship or just... Here's the thing that was such a make or break for him is that he wants to do a boxing fight. He wants that. We talked about it in our episode, and I just kind of want to, in the first Francis Ngannou episode we did, and I just want to bring it up here too. Regardless of whether he wins or loses in his boxing bout, if he can just get it, that is just fulfilling the dream that he wants, and that's that sends a good message to anyone else who comes from a similar upbringing. So... It, for him, he just he just wants to get it. Yeah, and it's kind of ridiculous to me because it'd be it'd almost be the equivalent of if let's say you have a job and then you tell your boss, "Hey, I'm going to do a side gig this weekend. Is that cool?" And they're like, "No, totally not cool. You can't do it. If you do that side gig this weekend, we're firing you." Like that's what. <laughs> That's what it's like, man, which is utterly ridiculous. Hey, that's that's the kind of like dynamic. Literally it is, because literally it's it's not even the same sport. Let's be honest here. Like boxing and MMA, they're similar, but they're not the same sport. So it like I don't know, like when that whole Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight happened, like was anyone really expecting McGregor to beat Mayweather? I mean, there were probably Straight some people. Fight. There were probably some I, people. Like a very small minority. But it was like the spectacle, you know? Like That's what people wanted to see. 
And then Not some me. people, I remember at the time, some people were like, oh, I, I know McGregor's probably going to sneak in a kick or an elbow on Mayweather and then just, you know, see if he can, like, mess with him there. But I was like, nah, Dude, I doubt do, it. But do you still, really? Like, do you No really... one in their right mind. Well, I mean, I was just going to say that with Floyd Mayweather, the type of person he is and how he conducts business, you really think he would let something like that happen? No, of course not. You know, like, yeah, but we people still paid to see that spectacle. I, it, it's like nobody, no, the majority, the vast majority of people did not honestly expect Conor McGregor to win. So I don't see the problem of like Nganu trying boxing. It would be a great spectacle fight and you know yeah exactly like, i don't see how that would hurt the ufc in any way you know i i don't i mean it just it just comes down to finances control and if francis is doing this boxing bout then he's not going to be available for their own events yeah but just give him the one or two couple ones well make sure he fulfills the fights on his contract like i don't there, there's definitely ways to negotiate it where everybody wins out. I, I yeah. Think. Well, obviously, and from what it turned out, the UFC, they didn't want to give up those options. And I mean, from, I think like we can really expand on this, that the reason why Francis went to PFL was for professional and personal reasons. There's the financial gain. There's the, the desire to compete in a boxing bout, but also just from a personal level, he didn't like how he was being treated by the organization or just what their terms kind of implied or just what their terms meant for him. And ultimately that's why he went with PFL because like everything about this organization aligns with things that he wants to do. Yeah. More power to him. Right, right. I mean, like, and I want to make something clear. I mentioned this in our Francis Ngannou episode. And I'm just going to do it here. I don't think that, and the, the example that I used was, if Francis Ngannou boxed Tyson Fury, I don't expect him to win that one. And I don't know if he would win any type of boxing bout against an actual boxer. But at least it would be a little bit of a show or just... I guess now let, let me say this. He would get paid. He would fulfill a lifelong dream. And as far as the spectacle aspect, I mean, I'm usually not into these kinds of things, but Francis is somebody who I would watch. Yeah. And here's my thing. I don't, if he just straight up went and fought Tyson Fury, I think he'd lose. If he's going the Jake Paul route of kind of setting up, spectacle 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 and kind of working his way up you know he could definitely be a really good challenging contender for which is Tyson Fury. which is something that i want to point out is that this is something that i mentioned on the the mma power hour twitter space is that if francis and ganu is going to do boxing i want him to go about it in a real or legitimate way what i mean is that i don't want him to for instance, box Jake Paul, or I don't want it to be boxing rules with MMA gloves or, or boxing rules in an, in a cage or whatever. Like I want to see him do boxing the right way. Yeah, I could see that. Although 
I don't know. Like, as much as I hate Jake Paul, could you really say he didn't kind of build himself up, like, in a like? Here's the thing. Like a lot of a lot of boxers have perfect records because you know it's it's like it's kind of like padding your resume to make yourself look good for the next job. You know, I I think jake paul did it but just with more famous people compared to like your average boxer who kind of did it with lesser known people you know right but i mean are they even in the same weight class like can that fight even happen and plus if that happens then it's just a gimmick well yeah yeah of course like that's why i'm saying like if he's right gonna, like my my point that i'm getting at is that if Francis is going to fight in boxing, have it be under their rule set, under normal circumstances with anyone who's in that weight class, whether it's Tyson Fury, whether it's the number 20 ranked heavyweight in the world, just someone in that category. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's so... I mean, I, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that. It's just the point I was trying to make is, you know, someone like Ryan Garcia fought a lot of probably not as good boxers building his resume up, you know, right. to have that undefeated kind of record. It's like a lot of boxers do that if they're marketable. So could you really blame Jake Paul for kind of doing the same thing except with just more famous people, you know? No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that. I guess I'm wondering, or just maybe I missed it, but what exactly makes you bring this up? Well, because you said you'd want to see uh, Francis Ngannou kind of build his way up in boxing the same way and not just straight up box Jake Paul or something. But, you know, like, I feel like for a big name like him, he definitely needs some spectacle. Like, let's say he's going to do boxing and he wants to build up his resume in order to fight Tyson Fury. He definitely needs to, like, throw in a couple big names, you know, to build up the hype and to kind of build up his skills in the sport of boxing. Right. But I mean, like, do it, do like, it with people who's Tyson in his weight class. Like, why does he have to box Jake Paul? Well, I mean, what if Jake Paul meets him at his weight class? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. That's not really something I've put too much consideration in. I mean, if he can make heavyweight, I guess. But I guess from a consumer and being He's a fan a of dude. being like being a fan of Francis, that's not the route that I would like. I would like him to face off with somebody else who has some more i guess extensive boxing experience because jake paul does have some boxing experience but i mean i don't know how to measure his boxing experience i think it would make a lot of money though because well yeah i mean of course it would to watch francis and gone beat jake paul's face in okay here's the thing here's the thing of course it would be a big draw okay, me, and here, it would make here money go. here we go yes but I mean, look, Jake Paul is a cruiserweight. So cruiserweight in boxing is just before light heavyweight and then 
heavyweight. So, like, jumping up two weight classes for Jake, like, that's a possibility. I mean, I suppose if he can, like, I don't know, what's the what's the minimum weight for heavyweight in boxing? For boxing is 200 pounds. Okay, so let's say he gets up to, like, 205 or 210. I guess technically he'd be considered a heavyweight, and it's like, I mean... I don't know. Sure, if you want to do that or if you feel like that's best, go ahead. But it's not what I would enjoy. I wouldn't necessarily like to see that or I would rather that not happen. I mean, of course, from the financial and viewership know, side, like, it's good. Say, right. But let's say, you know, Francis Ngannou wants to build up his boxing creds. He needs the money, but he also needs some eyeballs on him. I think Jake Paul would make sense as like a first boxing fight for him because it'll get a lot of attention, you know, assuming Jake Paul takes it. It'll get a lot of attention. It's an easy fight. But I mean, I'm just going to say like for an experienced fighter like Francis Ngannou, it's going to be an easy fight for him. They'll put a lot of eyeballs on him to like, you know, for him to kind of work his way up. It's a hypothetical, you know, like I hate Jake Paul, but this is the nature of the sport now. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely, I mean, I don't know. I guess like I, I guess I'm at the standpoint or I'm at the viewpoint where I understand the benefits that it would have, but it's not what I would like to see, but I'm going to be in the minority. I would imagine. I know, but it's, you gotta, you gotta take the bad with the good, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you kind of explained that earlier in this episode, talking about the bad with the good or just the good and bad parts of this, of his deal, his contract, and everything. And I feel like there's a couple things. How do I put this? There's a couple important, I guess, factors I kind of wanted to point out is that with, Francis's contract, the criticism that people have as far as him not fighting the heavyweights in UFC. If you were to take, I guess, if you were to take the UFC brand away from it, would some of these fights be as marketable? Or is it just some of the names with the, the heavyweights that they have? Like the name, for instance, John Jones versus Francis Ngannou would be huge. Stipe versus Francis Ngannou 3 would be huge. But would Gilton Almeida versus Francis Ngannou be appealing outside of the UFC? Would Sergey Pavlovich versus Francis Ngannou be as appealing if it wasn't in UFC? Because John Jones and Stipe Miocic, they have the star power. And with all due respect to Almeida and Pavlovich, they don't have the same name value that those guys have. No, I mean, probably not. So it's just like, that's, that's why it kind of comes down to, okay, are you more in, like, are you just, you're attached to the brand, not the fighters. I think in the current state of MMA, that's for the most part true. You know, mm -hmm. there are a couple outliers. Like, I think Adesanya, you're more attached to him than, you know, the UFC. Yeah. Uh, someone like Francis Ngannou or Carl, 
uh or uh kamaru usman like people like that you're probably more attached to the name and the fighter than the organization mm-hmm I mean, like, I can see, like, like Adesanya having... I can see Adesanya having more star power on his own without UFC than Kamaru Usman, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, if I had to pick, like, those are probably, like, the top names that come to mind. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, anybody else, I think they would be struggling a little bit if they ever left the UFC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess, I guess that sort of ties in with what I'm trying to get at is that, like, I don't know. I feel like people are more, because, like, I the way I kind of thought about this was, if there was a Sergey Pavlovich versus Ngannou, but it was outside of UFC, it just doesn't have that same kind of like, oh my god, this is a juggernaut pay per view. Right. It's just, and and I don't know. That's just sort of like how I'm seeing it, and you know, because. To me, the aspect of Francis Ngannou not having, not fighting the heavyweights in UFC now, it doesn't seem like as big of a loss to me than, for instance, Fedor Emelianenko 10 years ago not signing with the UFC when you had guys like Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, Brock Lesnar, Alistair Overeem, and all those guys in the heavyweight division. Those those names I just mentioned have way more name value and create more of this this awe or this you know this this low moment than the the current heavyweights yeah i i think i mean it is a different era but like you know alistair overeem built his name in kickboxing before he like transferred over yeah and outside and other mma organizations right so it's like i i think having more organizations or giving like fighters the freedom to move between organizations is a good thing ultimately yeah know? i mean i Even think so it's I, confusing for the casual fan yeah because it builds up their name i mean like look at how hyped it was when eddie alvarez finally debuted in ufc and i mean maybe that's part of it was that they were building up their names somewhere else other than ufc and there were other avenues to watch Plus, we were diehard fans, so we we tuned in and we knew about this stuff. Yeah. Either that, either that, or it's all just part of what we talked about last year as far as things that we miss. Because I mentioned I miss the promotions or the kinds of names that used to be in MMA. Yeah, I mean, the longer I think about it, it's like... I think you're right, you know? What, do you, what, what, what I just brought I up a couple miss moments? diversity. Yeah, like just the diversity of this, just because the more I think about it, it is just, it's just entertaining to have like that other choice or that other organization with some just not as known fighters Mm -hmm. who are still good fighters. It's just, sometimes it's just fun to watch a fight where you're just not quite sure exactly what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that there aren't as many high profile organizations to, I guess, compete in. It just like, it's it's a little bit harder to kind of get your name out there or to create that sort of, I guess, superstar quality with your name. Because 
I mean, what if Sergei Pavlovich was fighting 10 years ago and he he was able to war fight in strike force and all this other stuff and and but in the UFC it kind of you kind of lose sight of everything. I don't know. Yeah, like it just becomes so homogenized. Definitely, definitely. And I guess, you know, man, you know, I got to be honest. There's a lot of things to talk about with this PFL deal. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we haven't touched on or that we haven't really like gotten into. But I think what we can say is that, at least for me, I'm interested in seeing the prospect or just the things that are accomplished with this or just the, like I said, seeing MMA grow from uh, grow into a global aspect or just the way that uh, the, the team concept and just those nationalities and or just like the national teams, that's appealing to me. Yeah, I, I think definitely... You know, I know I wasn't on board with it at first, but the more I kind of think about it, the more it kind of makes sense, you know, just, it's just really hard to like, just give every fighter a good chance. If it's just all wonder, like just this one organization, if you yeah. have like local leagues, definitely like there's a lot more opportunities for like fighters to kind of build themselves up before they get into like the world stage and all that so yeah. and you're talking yeah, about I'm, having I'm coming around to this pfl idea and you're talking about having more than just like having multiple mma organizations thriving is that what you're talking about yeah or even just like you know i guess what you said like the pfl is trying to do where it's like a lot of regional organizations, but they're all under this one umbrella organization. Well, because it's like sort of like it, it, it sort of creates this team aspect to it. It creates this this global appeal, and just I guess one thing that I can point out is that what what how your type of fandom with one championship that's like how I am with the professional fighters league. I just like how they present MMA. And I like the the season format. I like the, uh, it's just, it appeals to me, I guess, as a sports fan. And I guess if they were to do other things as far as have PFL Africa or other, like PFL in other countries, it would just sort of cater to that even more. And that's why I'm excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I'm, I'm, the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of, coming over to that idea yeah and i don't know who knows maybe based on the way that they're talking about they can sort of execute the plan that i suppose wfl was going to do <laughs> i mean if this is successful and i hope it is yeah right definitely Which... like i said before like you know the ufc isn't gonna go down but they might lose a small amount of market share and then we're probably going to have like the other organization is just more willing to team up with each other. Yeah. And it, it gives, and it gives fighters like to the UFC. It, and yeah. It, and it'll just give fighters options where it's just like, okay, if it doesn't work out or if you can't get into UFC, then at least you have, you can make a living in these, these other capacities. And I don't know, based on what we're seeing, PFL does pay more than UFC does. <laughs> Which 
You know what? The, what? What? What's up? No, I mean that's good. Yeah, which you know what? That's one. I guess one other thing because I mean there's so much to talk about, but I think there's one other thing that I kind of wanted to to bring up in this episode is just here's the thing: the longer that I've, the longer that I'm an MMA fan, the more that I see, I guess how much money and financing is a big contributing factor to an organization's success. And I mean, this probably deserves its own episode if we were to focus on PFL, but one of the other criticisms I see is that people they're like people criticize the organization because they're thinking that what are they paying Francis Ngannou to do if he's not fighting? And where does PFL get the money from? Or just they're going to go bankrupt and all that. Which, first of all, from my understanding, it seems like Francis is getting paid to do other things in the meantime before fighting. Like his work that he's doing with PFL Africa or being on the fighter advisory board. It seems like PFL is paying for his work on that. So I'll give you a moment to respond to that before I go into the next point. I mean, yeah, that's I I can't imagine someone at that level just making money off of just one fight. Once you're being paid like a seven seven figures for a fight, you're going to invest that money into other ventures like other businesses, other brand deals, other like You mean Francis or or PFL? Guy. Francis and any athlete with that level of money in general. I, like, yeah. I mean, like, I guess the point that just, I'm sorry, go. Well, I'm just like, I don't think he's going to be just being paid to do nothing. It's funny you say that because I was going to say, like, I don't think they're just paying him to, I guess, hang out at home, figure out his boxing deal and then just train for that. Like, my point is that, he's doing work for the organization in the meantime before he fights for them. And that's probably what they're paying him for because it seems like he has a salary. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's good for him, but you know, that's, that's like one of the criticism criticisms that I see where I guess it's just like they're basically what it comes down to is that Francis is doing other work besides fighting and that's what he's getting paid for. And then the other thing that I was going to say is that, this is these are big plans but it's not like i mean it's not like pfl doesn't have money because if you look at who's investing in the company you have people like alex rodriguez you have wiz khalifa you have the owner of the washington nationals baseball team you have the owner of the washington wizards and capitals investing in this company it's like they have sources of money so I'm not saying that this isn't expensive or that it's going to be a guaranteed success or just I'm not saying every financial decision they make is a good one, but it's not like they don't have access to money. I mean, I have no idea where the money comes from from that, but I don't know. Well, but I, don't I mean, know is it about finances or their finances? Right. And you know what? I should throw that disclaimer here that like, I'm not expressing this as being a, a business expert of any kind. And I mean, who am I to comment on this? But it just, I guess what I wanted to do for this episode was do some research and see, okay, 
where do they in fact get their money because they might be in a situation where like yeah they lose more than they make or they're they've never been profitable in any year or what have you but i don't know i guess like the way that kind of happened was that if there's a certain like avenue that an mma organization needs to go to be successful which is pay-per-view or based on what this one account on twitter mmai is saying uh, at the very least streaming services how are they going to provide for that because for me i'm thinking i don't even know if i want to open this can of worms but basically what i'm getting at is that i see parallels between pfl and affliction and i tried to see where affliction failed that pfl could learn from or just how is this going to end any how is this going to end any differently for pfl than it did for affliction Well, I think like, you know, the money comes from advertising, of course, and like sponsorship deals. Right. But they're on ESPN. Yeah. That's like the biggest, you know, sports network right now. So I just I'm I'm sure like they would get money from advertisers. Right. And if that. we look at, you know, I'm just pulling this up real quick on their section that talks about their business partners. On digital syndication network, they have it on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Fubo, Twitch. And as far as sponsors go, they have Geico, IBM, uh, Marines. Let's see, Ticket Smarter, Bud Light. They're, and then they. it seems like they also have uh, deals with CAA Sports. And they might uh, do some airing of their content on Roku or Apple TV, stuff like that. Yeah, and you got to also, like, Affliction back in the day, MMA was still kind of this fringe sport, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely was not as big as it was today, and I'm just, like, thinking the biggest names they had was, like, Fedor and Arlovsky. Mm -hmm. But even then, it's like most people don't know those names unless you're a really hardcore MMA fan at the time. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see how but, sort of you know, basing it's... your organization on Fedor, there's some benefit to that, but it's not going to be, it wasn't going to be as much like, for instance, if Affliction based their organization on Fedor or if they based it on Brock Lesnar, which one do you think is going to get more mainstream notice? Yeah. So, I mean, now you have Francis Ngannou. He's got a lot more pull, I would say, in terms mm -hmm. of, like, recognize, Like, he's a more recognizable name than Fedor was back in his heyday. Mm -hmm. Which I just want to add. I, like, he's a little bit better set up for success. Yeah, I can kind of see that just given, like, the types of deals or basically the type of notoriety that Francis Ngannou has. Like, I see your point with that, and this is what I like about this conversation. You're presenting a viewpoint because I was sort of thinking about, okay, how are PFL and Affliction different? You're presenting a viewpoint that I didn't quite, you know, consider, so... What I like about it is us having this conversation and we can share this so that people can kind of get a little more informed or make their own opinions. I guess for me, 
what I was just trying to point out with the the people who invest in PFL is just to sort of demonstrate that they do have multiple sources of income. And I don't know what percentage or what amount these companies are are contributing, but it's like if you have more multiple sources of income, okay, all of those are gonna fall through. Where with affliction, basically it was basically they had Donald Trump as a backer, you know? And then once he was out of the equation, that was it. Yeah, but I'm I'm sure like Affliction had other brand sponsors as well. It's just I I guess you could just say it's bad timing, you know, just because MMA wasn't as big and the biggest guy they could sign was still like a nobody in, mm -hmm. in the mainstream market. You know? So so is that to say that what you're suggesting was more of a bigger factor than perhaps what I feel like is was is is the biggest factor? What I'm saying is like, you know, PFL and Francis Ngannou are better set up to be successful than Affliction was back in the day. Because of the type of star power that Francis has? Well, because, you know, MMA is a bigger sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Francis Ngannou is a bigger star than, like I said, than Fader was back in his day. Yeah. And it's just, you know, automatically you have more people watching. Like, Affliction was not on ESPN. No, they know? were. They just the did two pay-per-views. Right. So it's like already, if you're already partnered with ESPN, like, you're going to get more people watching, which means as long as you're making some money, I doubt like sponsors and investors would pull all their money out immediately. So, right. But the research that I've been doing is that they do have some success being on ESPN, but in order to take that next step up, they had to do, they had to do something more along the lines of what UFC is doing as far as putting on pay-per-views or being on a paid streaming service because otherwise them just being on ESPN, putting on free cards and all that stuff, that wasn't going to get them to the next level. Well, yeah. Yeah, of course. I get that. But I'm just saying like, you know, mm -hmm. the ad revenue and like having spot, like that's not going to go away. Whereas yeah. like Affliction didn't even have any of that to start with. So it's like. I'm almost like, I'm almost like thinking what was like the most major sponsor that Affliction had? themselves I no i mean i mean like i said they had they had trump as a backer but i don't it's it i'm seeing stuff as far as how i guess heavily involved he was with it and other than that i'm not like really thinking about like okay other than him which his amount of contribution was questionable I can't really think of any other names or just these major sponsors that they had. And there weren't as many companies putting money into this as I think PFL was. So like, I think honestly, right. the fact that PFL is on ESPN, the fact that they have this more traditional big four sports approach to their product than other MMA organizations, that's what makes it attractive to investors. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah. I, it's it's interesting seeing how they sort of how in articles when they're talking about PFL and just their relationship with investors, how they kind of pitched it to them is that bottom line is that there's something about PFL that is appealing to them.
I mean, probably the fact that, you know, they're on ESPN. And I don't know. I don't know how they got that deal, but it's just sometimes, you know, the the potential of investing in this fringe MMA organization means you're probably going to make more money because they have the opportunity to grow faster than the UFC could because the UFC is so big already. Mm -hmm. So like, where do you suppose that PFL can kind of succeed in these endeavors where I guess in a sense, Bellator is kind of falling short. I mean, if this, if, if they can get Francis Ngannou and organize this, whatever super fight he's going to have, it, I, it just depends who he fights. I like, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that Ngannou could fight that would just, you know, break the space, so to speak. But, you know, well, within boxing, super fight does happen. Well, within MMA, I don't know who they could pay two million dollars to to fight Nganu and then have everybody talking about it to you know just be that event, that super fight event that we kind of want. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of see and I've been seeing a little bit about like the questioning of PFL's approach with this whole thing as far as okay, why are you having him fight in boxing first or I guess what kind of big name can you draw? I mean, honestly, it might just be a situation where PFL pays 2 million dollars to anybody regardless of their name value just because that's what's negotiated in Francis's contract and I mean I don't know. I guess there's so, there's still some questions that I have about PFL's approach with this because whether it's my criticism or other people's criticism, it's not like it's just a good deal and there's nothing wrong with it. I just I want to try to figure out, for instance, okay, why is PFL going the route of okay, we'll let him do a boxing bout and then compete in MMA or just like who do they plan to 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 have Francis fight? I suppose. I mean, I'm sure they want a super fight, which is why they signed Francis Ngannou. But right now, off the top of my head, I don't know who they can, who he can fight that would make this like super fight event worth it. You know, I mean, there's names I can think about. I mean, like, let me just say this: from an MMA, from a diehard MMA fan like myself, they could match. Francis with any PFL heavyweight and I'll watch but I understand that there has to be some type of there has to be some type of draw to get money and all that and like the business side like I get that so I'm sort of thinking in that regards of people who aren't in UFC that Francis could fight I mean it's a little bit tricky because it's like okay do you have him fight for instance Alistair Overeem again I don't think that's a blockbuster fight do you have him fight Francis and uh, Francis, yeah, he fights himself. <laughs> no, um, I but, mean, yeah, that would be great. That would totally be worth two million dollars. <laughs> no, what I was gonna say is, uh, do you have, well, uh, do do you have Francis fight Fabricio Verdum, who's not in UFC, but that's not a real mega fight. That's not a super fight. So, I don't know. I right. I can't I can't think of like what would be that big draw of a fight. I mean, 
I mean, I'll watch I'll watch any fight because that's just the type of person I am. But like, as far as the general public, I understand the challenge. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch whatever. But like, yeah, I, I'm like for PFL to make this deal really worth it. I think they need to find some sort of super fight in MMA for Nganu to justify, you know, paying Nganu like millions of dollars and whoever he fights two million dollars you know like well one name someone who's gonna one name we can rule out is uh john jones because if he's not gonna be able to oh, like, yeah unless unless he leaves somehow i don't well, but that, but like, that's why I'm saying it's not John Jones because I haven't been able to look at all the specifics of it. Right. But for John Jones to either request a release or to fight out his contract and then go fight Francis, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's that easy. It's not going to be that simple. Oh, yeah. And especially now, I highly doubt Dana White would let any anybody who still wants to be in the ufc or even want to come back i don't think he would allow anybody to like even go near francis and ganu yeah yeah i mean like i don't know what are the terms in the contract or how they're doing it but i just know that they're making sure that gets done somehow that yeah if you're thinking about asking if basically like i don't know let's take any heavyweight for instance if 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 curtis blades in the UFC is all like all of a sudden goes up and asks for his release. Like, I don't think the UFC is just going to be like, okay, yeah, sure. You can get released. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, so, I it's, don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all very early to say it's just, I guess the point that I wanted or like what I was hoping to accomplish with this conversation of ours is just basically share some of the thoughts that we both had, but also talk about things that I suppose haven't been talked about yet in some of the other like podcasts. And plus, since we had a week to think about it, it's kind of like we've been able to process our thoughts a little bit more. Yeah. So I don't know. I like, a, you know, like I was kind of getting at, I feel like there's still a lot more that we can talk about that it wasn't touched on, but there's only so much time. And I figure we've kind of talked enough about this. I think we covered a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So there we go. That's our thoughts on Francis Ngannou signing with the PFL. Feel free to share your thoughts with us. Give us a follow on Instagram at Unified Rules Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter at Unified Rules PO1, or you can email us at Unified Rules Podcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, everybody. Take care. Have a good day. Have a good night. We'll catch you on the next one.